I'm Claire. And I'm Natalie. And we are a licensed psychologist and licensed school psychologist and a pediatric occupational therapist. And we are here to talk to you about stories of kids and adolescents who have maybe some struggles with development or disabilities, and also the parents and the caregivers and the teachers and the therapists who love them and work with them. We've divided this podcast up into two parts. So the first part is focused more on stories and experiences that we have and that parents have shared with us about their child um, with special needs. And then the second part, we delve into more details about those experiences and what we would do with them clinically if you want some more information on that. Yep. I think that's it. Goodbye. The following message is brought to you by our lawyers. A Little Cerebral is a podcast documenting a conversation between a psychologist and a pediatric occupational therapist. This is intended as a conversation between two colleagues. We are not providing legal, medical, educational, or any other advice, recommendations, or treatments through this podcast. Well, so we're doing this new experiment where we are recording via Skype. Yeah. Super high tech. Yeah. And we're like really good at figuring all this stuff out. Yeah, it was very easy for us. We definitely didn't spend yeah. like an hour doing it. Nope. And we didn't need to consult our team, our tech team. Yeah, we just we just figured it out. We just busted mm-hmm. through. Yeah. Yeah. Which is actually amazing because that leads us to our uh, topic today. Um, oh. Which is resiliency. Great segue. I know, right? I didn't even plan it. So resiliency, the reason why I am bringing it up is because I was talking to this amazing nurse practitioner and she sees obviously a lot of kids, a lot of kids with different needs, and we were talking about what it takes to be resilient. And I was thinking about it, and I'm sure you see this in your practice too, Claire, is um, a lot of kids who come in here, especially with their parents, it's, it's sort of twofold. Like you can see the child really doesn't have much resiliency. And what that looks like is the child is unable to push through anything that is difficult, whether it's mental or physical. And there's this lack of being able to continue when things get hard. And like I a lack of perseverance? Sorry? Would you call it that? What'd you say? Like a lack of perseverance? Yeah, like a lack of perseverance. Um, and just a lack of being able to stay in a place that's uncomfortable. And Mm -hmm. I also see it with the parents too. So what that would look like in a session is a child will be swinging even, which is fun, but instead of the child being able to swing for a consistent period of time and kind of push through the part where they have to make their body move, they will Mm -hmm. stop and then go do something else or stop and go like pick something up or wait, I want to set this up or wait, let me do this. So you can never get any consistent movement. And I see it like, again, if I ask a child to do, uh, to jump on the trampoline, they might jump for five seconds, then get off. Oh, let me get the ball and I'll get back on. Oh, let me do this and then get back on. So it's this trouble with doing consistent movement, pushing through things when they get a little bit hard and I see what the parents do a lot of times is they end up catering to this behavior and they obviously don't mean to but if a child for example says oh this is so hard or like this is boring or I don't like this that the parent will be like oh yeah like they never 
say they oftentimes need a lot of coaching around, like you can just empathize, empathize with the child and then make them continue instead of being like, oh, do you need water? Like, oh, come over here. Let me give you a hug. So the parents end up enabling this sort of like non-resiliency. Um, and it's not their fault. I totally see that too. Sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah, no, that's okay. It's the whole Skype yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I think it's it makes it really challenging. Um, and I think that a lot of parents, what happens is when you have a child who's more prone to meltdowns and you're not sure how they're going to react, especially in the face of adversity, like you don't want to get into situations that are adverse because it's hard for you as a parent. Like, I don't want to put myself in a situation where I'm pushing my child and then, you know, like they have a meltdown and then I'm sort of stuck there for the next 30 minutes. Like I have shit to do. So I get it. No, totally. no yeah. And I mean, like one thing I always think about is like we train our kids behaviorally, right? Like, so we condition our kids for certain things, but our kids condition us right back. And like, if we know that we can make something aversive stop, like a tantrum, that's very reinforcing for us, right? In the same way that it's reinforcing for kids when they can avoid something aversive, like something that is uncomfortable or anxiety. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I think that, you know, part of the message is, I think for parents is just to stop and think about how resilient your child is. Because, and I was talking with the nurse practitioner earlier, that that is one of the number one things that is so important for kids is to have that resiliency. Like if you're unable to push through things that are difficult, then you can't really do anything. Like life is difficult. Like every moment is sort of difficult, you know, whether it's like physical or mental and they do go hand in hand. Yeah, totally. I mean, and I think the place where I see it the most in my practice is with anxiety mm -hmm. um, and tolerating that anxiety because, and, and I can doing, I'll talk about anxiety obviously another time, but the only way really to treat anxiety is to confront it like head on. And sometimes it's more graduated, you know, but there you can't avoid the thing that is making you anxious and then not be anxious. You know, it actually strengthens the fear. Mm -hmm. And so um, I see it there. And then actually with ADHD, some of the stuff you're describing is actually some of the symptoms when you're looking diagnostically for um, at, at some of like, like, um, like not wanting to do boring things, not persevering through difficult tasks. Those are actually some of the symptoms as you're making the diagnosis for ADHD. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's amazing, I think, too, how perceptive children are at such a young age of what they are good at versus what they are bad at. And I have mm -hmm. a vision of my son when he was um, asked to do something by a therapist and he perceived it mm -hmm. as difficult and it was as simple as like, can you walk on your toes or can you find a different way to, to walk across the room? And mm -hmm. it was just like, he knew he couldn't do that. And so he refused to do it and then had this meltdown over just being asked to do something different. And he already knew in his head he couldn't do that. And that's at age two. So then fast forward to age like nine and then, for example, he might have all these compensatory strategies for getting out of things. Like I could avoid, I could melt down, I could get angry, I could throw, I could run out of the room, I could hide. And then it becomes so much harder and it becomes harder, I think, to determine, like, is this because the skills are difficult and so you have this reaction and then you have no resiliency or is this more of 
like like you mentioned, I have anxiety and then I avoid and then I don't have resilience to push through what it feels like to push through something that's mentally or physically hard. And I think similarly, like anxiety, the, the physical symptoms, right, are your heart rate increases, you might start sweating. Mm. It can be very similar to when you push yourself physically. So I've seen children who have anxiety who will get on the trampoline and they'll start to get their heart rate up and they kind of freak out because it feels like anxiety to them. It's very difficult yeah. to distinguish. Yeah, I've actually seen that too. Um, not on a trampoline, but I've seen that with kids. And sometimes it even looks like a kid. Um, so this is anecdotally because I obviously am not qualified to speak about medications, but I can say that I have seen kids who went on stimulant medications for uh, maybe ADHD and they have anxiety as well, start to have some of those same symptoms of increased heart rate, right? Mm, and yeah. um, they, it's, they need, their brain needs to like interpret what is happening. And so they start to interpret it as something, um, something, something that can pr provoke fear or something that um, is scary is happening or something like they, they start to interpret it as anxiety. And then that sort of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy a little bit. Yeah. And that's of course, anecdotal. I don't have like research to support that. Yeah. Right. Exactly. That was a great anecdote. Um, Thanks. you know, you're so welcome. So, you know, the other thing I was thinking about is how many times we have to be resilient during the day and like as adults to push through that. And that can be just out of choice, like the choices that I do for fun. Like, so let's say I want to, um, you know, go skiing. I have to have resilience in so many ways to even do something that I enjoy. I have to have resilience to put on all the fucking shit that you have to wear to go skiing. I have to have resilience when it's cold out to like withstand that cold, you know, then I have to push myself physically. And then I have to even wait in line at the bottom of the trail. If like every little moment in your life requires some resilience. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's my choice. I chose to go skiing. So then put myself in a situation where like I'm at work and I have to do things and I'm being told what to do things. And this is very much mirrors um, like a child in school. Like they're being told what to do. There's expectations set for them. It's not their choice. And then they have to have this resiliency to push through it. Mm-hmm. So, um, I see that a lot in the schools and I actually see it with my youngest son. And in fact, one of the things that it was suggested in a um, professional development I did on ADHD, he doesn't have ADHD, but to use something called an effort meter. And so I've seen it as like a thermometer. I made it more like the dashboard of a car. And so one, two, and three, like one, I gave up two, I gave up, but I tried again, three, I kept going. Um, just and then like the positive self-talk that goes with it, which, of course, that's all very cortexy. Right. Yeah. Right. But um, yeah, I see it a lot in schools. And in fact, I actually see this is one of the things I've been thinking about a lot lately. Kids with IEPs and kids with learning disabilities in particular, um, there's just I see a lot of learned helplessness. Mm, yeah. And and I wonder to what extent some of our best efforts to help kids further. Um, strengthen that sense of learned helplessness. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that parents, like I said in the beginning, sort of they they reinforce it by accident. 
because mm-hmm. if you have like a child who is anxious or or you have a child who has decreased skills, they're going to have some behavioral repercussion from that. And they're not going to want to try because everything is so much harder for them. So even their effort of trying might look like they're not trying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So right. they could even just to sit in, the, in a chair. You're like, sit down and do your homework. Well, they sat in the chair and that's hard enough for them. Like maybe that's mm-hmm. where you stop. There's um. In the occupational therapy world, we use this thing called um, the just right challenge. So you always try to get the child to push themselves to the moment or just before the moment where they're dysregulated and then bring them back. So it's like you're kind of strengthening their dysregulation muscle and you're choosing an activity that they can do successfully but that you can also push them in. So you're not trying to choose an activity that's like too hard or too easy. It's like kind of in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. So like scaffolding. I think they actually have a name for that zone. It's called, so in the world of psychology, it's called the zone of proximal development. Yes. It's like where where it's just challenging enough. Yes. I like (laughs) couldn't think of the technical term. So I just said just right challenge, which could be actually, now that I think of it, maybe that's like, I don't know, some ad on TV or something. Who knows where I got that. But um, same same idea, yeah. Well, I don't think kids are really going to love you saying like, okay, we're going to work on your zone of proximal development. So probably just right challenge <laughs> is more kid-friendly anyway. Yeah. And, you know, to be honest, you never really say it. It's just the way that you set it up. So I think for parents, if you want to work on resiliency at home, I think a really good way to work on it is through movement because, it, again, it takes the cortex out, out of things. Um, so if you have a child and you're not sure, gosh, is my child processing information up through the cortex, you, you just, you just do movement. You don't have to use a lot of words. Like you don't have, you can take the cortex right out of it. So if you don't have any equipment at home, you could just have them like run in place, run back and forth from wall to wall. See if they can do that 10 times. A lot of times you'll see, you try to get them to do a movement. You'll see how long they can do it. Maybe it's five seconds. And then you have them do it for three seconds. So it's successful. Uh, And then you drag it out to four seconds and then to five seconds. So you're pushing them physically with or without them them knowing it. But I always try to set a period of time. And like, right, if it's like a second, like whatever, start there. That's fine. And then you monitor as a parent what you do and what your reaction is. Like if the child starts to give up, do you feel uncomfortable? And you're like, oh, gosh, I have to help them. I have to help them. Or are you like, okay, I'm just going to sit in this uncomfortable place and sort of let them struggle? Mm-hmm. And that's a really great sort of self-reflection thing. And I think you can do that the same, the same way for the successes, right? Like kind of just sit in that instead of being like, yeah, you did it, you did it, you did it. Because then you're externalizing it too and you're kind of making it more about you versus telling them. And this nurse brought this up this morning, which I thought was amazing. And she said, you just let the child sit in the success and you can ask them like how did that feel for you or like what's going on for you now so it just puts it back to him and i actually did this with my son tonight because i was just curious and he had built this um really cool building thing out of all these blocks which i probably actually could never do and then i he asked me if i liked it and i just said to him well what what do you think about it and he said it's good i made it and then like walked away so, you know, and I was thinking he would need a lot more like affirmation from me 
and you know that's kind of my own shit where I was like oh okay he needs me he needs me he needs me he didn't need me he didn't need me at all so it was right. just giving him the tools to be like well wh what did you think and he was like it's good like later and I was like oh okay yeah, I mean, it almost sounds like, in a sense, it's kind of building up that sense of, like, agency that we want for kids and, like, that sense of, like, mastery, right? And that's so important for later resilience, I think. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Again, I think it's, like, the number one thing. If you can teach your child anything, teach them how to be resilient. What about regulation? Um, I think regulation and resiliency go hand in hand. So if okay. I and, – and you can become dysregulated – I mean, you can become dysregulated really at anything, but you can become dysregulated when you're trying to do something and it's hard. And it's sort of like, how do I manage things that are hard? So if my skills are poor, especially, and then I try something and it's hard for me, then I become, can become dysregulated because I'm trying hard and I don't have that resiliency to continue or to know how to manage that feeling of, of when it becomes hard. Like, what does that feel like for me? You know, um, and do I sound okay coming through, by the way? I think so. No. Okay, great. Um, I'm looking so, at all my, I'm going to have the butler come check um, uh, see how the numbers look. He's giving me thumbs up, so I think we're good. <laughs> so there's actually um, a person, he was the former president of the American Psychological Association. His name is Martin Seligman. And I think he's at the University of Pennsylvania. I always confuse it. Is he at Penn State or at the University of Pennsylvania? Nonetheless, he is at a public university in the state of Pennsylvania. And he is um, one of the people who, he's, he was very involved in positive psychology, which is like a whole other thing. But he's written a lot of books um, about resiliency in kids and in adults. And one of the things he talks about is like self-esteem is built through overcoming difficult things. So actually when we're building that ability to tolerate frustration or to persevere when you're skiing and all the like millions of different things that are happening as you're waiting in the lift line, or maybe you get your shoulder stuck in the chairlift, just for example, or yeah, like, no, no, we don't know anybody who did that, but let's just no. say someone did. <laughs> What's that? I said it definitely wasn't Claire, by the way. No, it was not me at all. <laughs> um, so all the, like, you know, falling, being hungry, being cold, being uncomfortable, the wind on your face, like all those different things. Right. Um, so anyway, he talks about how um, self-esteem is actually built through overcoming difficult circumstances, right? And so we're actually, in addition to that, resiliency building self-esteem. I will also add that self-esteem has another part, which is worthiness. So it's competence and worthiness are the two parts to that. So, I mean, you know, if you're yelling at your kid and like, you know, you're making them feel horrible and like your way of coaching them or teaching them to do things is like, you know, breaking down their sense of who they are and beating them up emotionally, that's not gonna help their self-esteem. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, right. I sort of, I think that's kind of a no-brainer, yeah. but uh, even if they're able yeah, to thanks, overcome Captain something, <laughs> but even if they're able, I mean, but there really are some parents who take some of the coaching and expectations to a next level that is yeah, unrealistic, right. Right? right? And and I think worthiness is also an, another really important part of um, self-esteem. Yeah, I and, agree. And so Martin Seligman talks about that. He's also um, a person, he, like, 
I guess, was the graduate supervisor for, and now I think they are both professors at this university in Pennsylvania, Angela Duckworth, who she did a TED Talk on grit, and she's written a book called Grit, and, um, and which is kind of the same thing that we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I also think that parents, again, sort of play into this whole resiliency thing um, with their child because they become overreactive and almost overprotective of what the child is going through. And I see that a lot. So it's like, um, right, if the child um, like trips or, or falls and I'll kind of, as a therapist, it's also a lot easier for me. So I'll like wait and see the child's reaction. But oftentimes I'll see the parents sort of jump to the child and be like, oh my gosh, are you okay? Like what, what hurts? What's going on? What do you need? And it's this over-responsiveness, probably conditioned because their child used to or often kind of overreacts to things. And so then that's, again, like a learned behavior, just like you were saying before. And so I see that a lot. And then, like I said, I think that it's helpful for any parent is to check in with yourself and see how are you reacting to your child? Are you providing yeah. them too much support in this area? And what's going on for you? Because I think that if you have an anxious child, you're going to be more anxious and vice versa. Like if you're more of an anxious person, and then your, your child is probably going to be more anxious because he or she will pick that up from you too. So it does, I think it does all, it's all related. It's all related to self-confidence. And I think it snowballs a lot too. Yeah. And, and um, I think then part of that is as a parent, like what is your own resilience, right? Like what is your own level of resilience? How are, are you, like you're talking about with checking in, are you able to sit and tolerate the discomfort of, watching your child maybe fail, watching your child kind of battle through something and have a hard time, um, and or even the piece that is, am I doing the right thing as a parent? Am I, like, not being responsive enough? I don't know. Like, should I sit here? Should I help? There's that discomfort of not even knowing um, if you're doing the right thing. Yeah, and I actually think the best advice is just to do nothing for, like, three seconds. Just to sit there. And I've had parents... Um, where my boys have been in here and like they've like flipped off the you know something and instead of me rushing over I just wait because I'm trying to see like is this a is this a moment not necessarily I'm like gosh I should teach some resilience now so like you know while the kid's like bleeding on the floor but at the same time I'm <laughs> like can I push the resilience factor for this child to get up on his own and try again versus me just like running over and being like oh my gosh, are you okay? What can I do to help? Are you hurt? Because then every time the child falls, they'll be like, okay, someone's going to be there to help me out. And I can rely on other people. I don't really have to check in with my own body to figure out like, am I actually hurt? Like someone's there for me. And yes, like, you know, for like a one-year-old, my one-year-old, I don't really do that. I'm not like, okay, like tell me how you feel, check in with your body. But I think for three, it is, it is appropriate at that age. And I do think at some point it's important to add the positive self-talk that they would use to tolerate that distress. Um, and I'll be honest, like, so when I have like vertigo attacks, um, that's one of the times that I have to like really dig deep and, um, I have to use a lot of positive self-talk to sit and tolerate it. And that's, to me, that's the thing that's coming to my mind as like where it hits me the most in my life, mm -hmm. because Truthfully, I want to like get up and then get back to doing whatever I was doing, but I can't and you, you don't have a choice. You have to sit there and like tolerate all of the horrible physiological sensations that go along with that. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I think for me personally, self-talk is really, really important during those times. And I, and I would just say as a psychologist, I think self-talk is really, really important to add, but it's not the first thing you add yeah, for kids yeah. as well. Yeah, right. I, I completely agree. I mean, I think, um, you know, the other example that comes to mind is just, um, I don't want to make this about like women versus men, but women are ridiculously resilient. And I think about women who are, you know, especially women who are giving birth and, and what that pain is and to be able to overcome that kind of resilience, um, you know, you have to be resilient for that. Um, I also think about, you know, like I think a lot of people experience this, like women, a, a woman will be sick and then you kind of just have to power through it because that's sort of what women do. And then I find that a lot of men in my life at least will get like a, a sniffle or like a tear and it's like I have to lie down on the couch, like please bring me some tea. I'm like, ah. What about your butler? Can't your butler do that? I mean, my but I don't want to make people feel bad about how many butlers I have, but yes, one of my butlers does do that. I just fetch the tea, and he does. Always in an English accent, very poor English accent, yeah. Um, wait, does your husband have a bell he rings? Does he have what? Like a yes, bell, yes. one of those little bells? <laughs> Everybody in the family gets one bell to ring for the butler. <laughs> yeah. You don't get more than one. Everybody has to, like, take their fair share. Yeah, right, exactly. So anyways, I think that there's different levels of, of resilience, and I think that it's something that everybody has to work on. Um, and, I, and I think the first step is just being cognizant of when you need to be resilient throughout the day, how you react to your children, um, what is your response when they fail and when they succeed, and how many challenges are they given throughout the day. And also, in terms of movement, how much movement are they getting that is challenging them, and when they engage in movement are they able to do it consistently like for a set period of time and push themselves physically or do you see this sort of like avoidance or um i move for a little bit then stop and then move for a little bit then stop yeah i i would recommend because the thing that's coming to my mind as well is just as a parent of a middle school child um middle school is so hard and i think the thing is like you don't have a template like that's, that's a little bit different than some of the, the ways in which you're describing resiliency, um, or, you know, physically. Right. Yeah. But I would say there's also like all of these new social challenges. And then of course, you know, hormones thrown in the mix and then just feeling like you're constantly being evaluated. I think that's, and, and also your own like difficulty with regulation, like with yeah. emotional regulation. And I think that all of that kind of together, um, it's like the first time you experience a lot of like the social things that happen that are very um, I, I, difficult, I guess is the yeah. word, but it can also kind of make you feel bad about yourself or can make you doubt who is your friend. And then yeah. I think you can get up in your head a lot when you're in middle school. I also and think I that feel like you can go back though to um, movement for everything. So like, Instead of like bringing it down away from the cortex, especially when you have these new social situations, you're being evaluated, like bringing it back to really basic movement and challenging yourself there can also be very successful for a lot of kids too, because they can start to gain their confidence through moving their own body. And I would just add though, that as you're doing that, it's like maybe taking a walk while you're talking about things, but I really, I think it's important to also then talk about feelings, right. And talk about like, and not, you must feel this way, but 
how does that make you feel? Or if somebody can't come up with how it makes them feel, giving them a couple options and helping them to then like bridge the, those sort of feelings that are, that may feel like they're out of their control with the words that kind of anchor them. I think that's really important. Um, but I think it has to be done in a way that isn't telling, but rather a conversation. Um, and it's so tempting sometimes to want to rescue kids, um, from some of the social situations. I think parents get involved in like mean texts that are happening between kids or like, I know when my, so my son has had some problems with some kids and most of the time it's not bullying, even if it feels like bullying, there are times where it's it's like risen to the level of bullying. And I always try to have him talk to the principal first or try this on your own. And then eventually I do support him and send an email, but I want him to have that opportunity to try out these strategies. Um, but I also think part of it is you don't have a template, like you don't have a template for this kind of struggle. And so if you can do it successfully and if you can help your child successfully navigate it, which doesn't mean they're not failing and it doesn't mean that it's not hard, then all of a sudden they have this new template for when they're older. Like I went through that and I remember what that was like. I can handle this. Yeah, right. No, I think that's a good point too. By the way, I think we should end um, because can you hear okay. my computer? It sounds like it's going to blow up. Mine? <laughs> like, no, mine does. It's like super hot and I don't know, this oh. Skype thing, it was like, like can't handle that. My 1950s computer. <laughs> so. Okay. All yeah. right, then. So long. Farewell. As did you say adieu. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and if anybody has any stories they want to share in terms of resiliency, because I know we can, we all have stories. I think that's a really good thing uh, to share. And if you send them in, we'll we'll talk about them too. Because I we think should tell them the resonate. email address. Yeah. What is it? So it's it's a little cerebral at gmail.com. Yes, just email us your stories. They can be anonymous or not anonymous. Yeah. Okay. Great. All right. Good talk. Okay. Well, until next time. Yes, we'll see you later.